0: Today on Sagittarian Matters: Leaving academia, love proclamations, dating an addict, clapping back, and more. In a special advice edition with friend of the show Beth Pickens. Stay tuned. Sagittarian matters. Sagittarian. Pickens is a Capricorn, an arts consultant, a strategic planner, and the author of the book Your Art Will Save Your Life. She's a friend to the show, a fan favorite, and a frequent contributor to Sagittarian Matters. You can find her on Instagram at Beth Pickens Consulting. And if you're in Los Angeles, you can sign up for her upcoming Getting Real With Money workshop at the Women's Center for Creative Work right now. It's happening March 10th. Spaces are limited. And you can go to womenscenterforcreativework.com for more information. Now, please enjoy my talk with the very honorable Beth Pickens. Pickens, welcome back to Sagittarian Matters. It's always a privilege and an honor. You are a fan favorite. Producer Chris has declared that you are a favorite.
1: I I can't even. It's still too much for me to accept that honor. It is really meant a lot because a producer hears everything.
0: He does. He hears everything before
2: the edits, before anything.
1: And so a producer's opinion, I mean, producers matter. (laughs) They do. They do. (laughs) They really matter.
2: Dear Sagittarian Matters and Beth Pickens, I have a job where I believe I do good work that makes a positive impact on the world. I work as a non-tenure track professor in a feminist studies department at a large university. I love my students, my research, and the other components of my job. However, I'm very underpaid. My position is precarious and my job despite best efforts to set boundaries consumes my life and energy lately my administration has made life especially difficult and part of me wants to leave academia since i'm not sure if the juice is worth the squeeze anymore i also spent 25 years in school preschool to phd as part of my training for this job And I feel very personally and emotionally and politically invested in doing this work. Any decision I make, I feel like I'm letting either my students, my research, my community, my partner, or myself down. Advice? Thanks from Frazzled Feminist.
1: Oh, Frazzled Feminist. I have a lot to say about this because in my work, a lot of my clients and artist friends work or have worked in higher education and, um, I, I first and foremost want to say that everyone I know who has left academia, who were fully committed to this is going to be my life, they spent, like you, their entire lives preparing for this track. When they leave academia, they are much happier, much happier because because higher education is a really corrupt, broken in- institution, which I don't need to tell you. You know this. You're living this experience. And institutions make people feel really bad and devalued because you are being devalued. That's what happens in in institutions. And we are powerless actually to change these institutions. If you could change your university, you would have already. It's... First, important when anybody's going to transition out of a job to make a plan. I never want anybody to just bizounce out of a job unless they have significant savings to take care of themselves during the transition. So, first things first, it's time for some career explorations about some next steps. Whether or not you decide to leave, simply researching the other opportunities for you to make income, because there's a lot of ways to make money, a lot of ways. Even just by researching them and remembering and discovering that you have choices, you may feel <clears throat> better about the job. You may decide, sort of like when you move furniture around and then you're like, oh, the furniture was best the way it was. You may decide, I'm going to leave this job, do a lot of research, and then decide, actually, this is what's going to be best for now. And that's okay, too. Um, it So if you decide to stay in the job, some recommendations. One, advocate for a pay increase. Every year, it's just your job to ask for more money because jobs don't automatically give that, and yet cost of living will always go up. So it's our job to always be raising our prices and asking for more money. We don't have control over whether we'll get it, but we do have control over the asking and the making a case for ourselves and the advocacy for a pay increase. So if you don't get it, that's information. That's just information. If they're never going to give you more money or the money they give you is not commensurate with the cost of living increase in your area, that's information that goes into the decision making process. You're not letting anyone down. You've put in lots of time in this job. You have changed a lot of people's lives who have then gone on to change even more people's lives. A job only owes you a paycheck and you only owe a job the labor you're contracted to do. You don't have to get all of your meaning from this job. And I'm not suggesting that you do. But sometimes in education, because it it can be such a meaningful job, people can worry that they are um, not doing their spiritual work of the world or they're letting future potential students down if they stop doing that thing. But there's lots of ways to impact communities outside of this particular job. And sometimes it can be nice to consider like, do you want a job that is less fraught and emotional? Do you want one that demands less of you so that maybe you get to find meaning in other ways that aren't tied to tied to income? So a recommendation that I have for Everybody I know who works in higher education, and everyone I know, pretty much most of them are artists. So this is really geared toward them. But I think it applies to everyone. Higher education. If you are a person who has been socialized to take care of people, <laughs> not saying only women, but a lot of women, or people who've ever been socialized as female, or if you are a person in higher education that is um, not represent doesn't represent the dominant uh, group. So if you are not historically represented in an institution if you are not a straight white cisgendered man sorry to put it like that but truly then you are in a position where you could be exploited for your labor here's why if if students understand you as a safe person to talk to you will swiftly become a person that students go to for unpaid help and when you are a teacher, there is an un an unending line of need at your door. You could never possibly fulfill all the needs of all the students who are coming to you with really tender problems because this is what's happening to people their age and you are not equipped to do all these things that's why most well stocked universities have things like counseling centers and women's and gender studies and or I'm sorry women's centers and other places for people to get help but what can happen is with with faculty who, like, quote unquote, care, then they can become sort of a de facto go to for an unending line of need from students. And that's where, that's a place where I see people really burn out is all of the work that they're doing outside of the classroom. I'm advocating for you to keep the work in the classroom, which is really hard because you're going to care about these students a lot. And you're teaching them content that is changing their brains and opening themselves up to experiences that are... It's going to be painful. It's painful to become a feminist. It's painful to come into our identity consciousness because then we see injustice and we see the ways in which we exploit or have been exploited, right? So then they're going to want to bring it to you. And I'm going to advocate for really tough, strong, boundaries here that your your engagement with them does not go beyond the classroom and beyond the 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 objectives of the class and that you then turn students out to other places to get the help that they need and because you're in feminist studies i can almost predict that that is happening in your life you are not a rape crisis center you are not a counseling center you are not the person who has to help them with coming out or dealing with transition you can't you're not that's above your pay grade and beyond your pay grade and it will contribute to burnout. That was a lot of stuff I just said. Nicole, what do you think?
0: This is a great value. I feel like people probably uh, go to see you for several sessions before they get this actual amount of wisdom. And you know what I mean? This is a really tight package, and I feel like it's a great savings for people.
1: Yeah, this is like 10 sessions with somebody who teaches, like drilled down the essence of 10 sessions.
0: <laughs> well, I just want to I think that you have spoken beautifully about this, Beth. Yeah. Um, I personally just want to say that you're not letting down your current self if you are getting yourself out of a situation that's making you unhappy. Like, I can't remember who I was reading about or listening to that was talking about how ludicrous it is that sometimes we set our entire life path off of something we thought as a child or when we were a teenager. Like, I'm going to be a this, and then let's dedicate my whole life to this. And if I don't succeed at this thing I wanted to do when I was 17, then I've failed in some way. You haven't failed at all. You just, you get to have multiple acts in your life and you know, you spent 25 years getting to this spot. You've been in this spot. You're seeing how it is good and bad. And you might decide that you want something different and you get to have multiple acts in your life. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be feeling this way, but worse in 10 more years, just in honor of you going through, I don't know, going through college so I think you're not letting, you're not letting yourself down or anyone else down. And also, you know, you were talking about your community, your partner. Your partner probably wants you to be happy, I'm guessing. Your research, whatever. You can do other things with those skills. You can write a book. You can be a community activist, a community member. You can do other things for the community besides this particular job. Um, I've, I just have seen the golden handcuffs make some of my friends so miserable in ways that feel so unnecessary to me, as somebody who's outside of the institution, who's never had that kind of institutional um, stress.
1: And and frazzled feminists, and truly anybody who's listening who is feeling guilty about leaving a job, a way to absolve yourself of this guilt, and this is true, somebody else is going to be excited to have that job. When we vacate a job we don't want anymore and we feel like guilty that we're leaving it, just remember the world is big and someone else is going to be psyched to have that job.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, Beth, I have a question that I, I texted it to you. Are you, If you look at your phone, are you just going to be seeing your Tinder messages? Or?
1: Hold on, I got to swipe on a few people.
0: <laughs> Did I send you a screen grab yes. about somebody who has a bad boss? Yes, it was.
1: Yes, will you read this first and then? Sure, sure. Dear Sagittarian Matters, how do you handle being publicly bullied by a patriarchal asshole at work? Is there a way to clap back that doesn't drag you to his level? Oh. Signed, bullied in Birmingham.
0: Mmm. Bullied in
1: Birmingham. That's hard. I mean, I don't... Obviously, I don't know the details of this, but the publicly is the thing that gives me pause and first would alert me to, do you have an HR department where you work? The publicly thing... Is the thing that I think is the biggest red flag sort of alarm um, because this is going beyond just your relationship with your boss and going into harming your uh, reputation, your professional reputation, beyond just your individual relationship. You may or may not have an HR department. The HR department may or may not have any power. They often don't. And the HR departments, remember, are there to protect the institution, not the people who work in them. Um, but since what you're asking, okay, so how do you handle being publicly bullied? I think... I would recommend having, um, getting some tools before you do this. And this could be through like a 12 step meeting like Al Anon or working with a therapist or talking with a therapized community (laughs) of friends. But I would first go to the source, having a private conversation with your boss to say, this is happening and I wonder if we can stop it because it's affecting my ability to do the job and I really want to be able to do this job well. Um, I'm wondering if if you have something to say to me, if you could start telling me in private and not in these public arenas. And, and because I want you to do your due diligence and keep your side clean by first addressing it in an appropriate way. Your boss is doing something inappropriate, so I want you to respond by first doing the thing that is appropriate and asking for something more appropriate because then if you don't get it, this is important Information. It can be important if you do have if you have to build a case for like leaving a job and getting um, unemployment or for filing a grievance if you're in a place that is the size and has an HR department and has any kind of protocols. But I want you to do your sort of take your steps in the most professional way. Um, clap, don't ever clap back at a boss. Don't clap back in work environments ever. Don't call, clap back on the internet either. Everybody, public announcement, don't, how about stop clapping back? Let's ad- address <laughs> people. If it's a stranger, you don't have any business with a stranger clapping at you because that's insane. Don't engage. Um, but your boss, um, there's a big power differential. So, It could only serve to harm you by doing a quote-unquote clap back. I think the way we address inappropriate behavior or something that we're not okay with is to first tell the person in an appropriate way, one-to-one in private, this is not okay with me. Can you do this differently? You may or may not get that thing, but you can ask for it. And when you don't get it, like I said, A, it contributes to building a case if you need to build a case. And B, you're keeping your side of the street clean. You're not harming your reputation in the way this person is harming their own reputation.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I Being publicly bullied by a patriarch or asshole at work. I always believe in keeping your side of the street clean. I would never publicly bully them back or pub like i just it's kind of that thing you know when you argue with a child you've already lost when you start defending yourself it's just it ends up weakening your side somehow Mm -hmm. there are so many other strong things you can do that are in line with your integrity and not sinking to that person's level that will leave you feeling better about yourself Mm -hmm. and will just put you in a better position like beth was saying either for them to act reasonably by seeing you acting reasonably as a role model they may or may not pick up that that bait or, um, it just in general doesn't make you seem like a, a baby at work.
1: Right, because here's the thing. These are professional environments, and often we forget that. And so when other people aren't acting professionally or ways that are consistent with, hey, this is a workplace. We actually work together. We're we're together because we're paid, not because we're family or because we're sleeping together or because we're roommates. We're we're paid to do a job together. I always encourage people to err on the side of keep it about business always at work. Keep it professional. Keep it about business. When something has to be addressed that's not about your professional business, you do that one-to-one in private. When that doesn't work, then you bring in a third party like an hr rep or somebody to address something but you might just be collecting information about this workplace and this boss and if the boss isn't going to go there may come a point where you have to decide is it is it better for my career and my life if i leave yeah but no clapping back everybody just don't clap back just conserve your energy we have an election coming up don't clap back don't take the bait no no never take my one of the best things i ever heard was from dr Marsha chatlin friend of the pod friend of everybody you know um, author of the new book franchise about McDonald's and black America. Anyway, Marsha would always say crazy meets crazy. where crazy's at <laughs> don't go and be crazy whenever you spot it. Go the other
3: way.
0: <laughs> yeah. I've heard a similar thing, which is crazy wants to dance. It wants it. It's just asking you like this person's like, shall we dance? And you're being able to have the choice to sit this one out.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, okay.
4: Hi, Sagittarian matters. I need some help in responding to an email I received from a former friend. A little background. I met this person right after I moved to a new city. We very briefly casually dated, but stopped after a couple months because it felt more appropriate to be friends. Anyway, our friendship bloomed after we discontinued the romantic portion, and I thought we went on to have a pretty nice and close friendship that felt pretty good. Our friendship lasted about six years. We both dated other people during that time, and in the last two years we became roommates. At the end of our time living together, the friendship felt stretched thin, as can happen when living with a friend. Adding to some of that stress was this person's new partner, who I simply did not get along with. There wasn't any drama, it just became clear to us both that we were growing in different directions and both didn't value the friendship in the ways in which we previously had. Then, I moved out of state and we were not in contact for two years. Then, I get an email from her saying that she thinks part of why our friendship was strained to the point of ending was because she was in love with me. Now, I just don't know how to respond to this, and I feel a little bit sad to think the friendship was not as I saw it, true friends. I have not responded for a few months now, so on top of confusion about what to say about the actual factual email itself, I have guilt about not responding to someone's emotional truth that they bravely shared with me. Please help strained and rearranged in the Great Plains. Oh, dear
1: Great Plains. Um, I don't know if this is somebody bravely sharing their emotional truth. This sounds like a left field out of nowhere, out of context. I'm not friends with you anymore. And now I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw like a bomb into your life. You first and foremost, you, you actually don't have to respond and you don't have to respond on any kind of timeline. I understand wanting to because I don't like to leave things open-ended, especially if it if, if a situation seems as though I'm being asked to respond. But you can also keep it light and polite. Like, well, you know, thanks for sharing that with me. I hope you're doing re- really well. Best of luck, luck in life. Kind of like a have a nice summer. It's just sort of like saying, we're two humans in the world. I wish you the very best. I'm not looking to be in touch. Right? And, and that's okay. That can be the closure. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to, the person doesn't have to come back to your life. It doesn't sound like you want them to. It doesn't sound like, it doesn't sound like a relationship you're looking to resurrect. It kind of ended badly, not for any bad malicious things. Like maybe the relation, the friendship might've just worn out. Certainly that happens when you live together. And sometimes after you're done being a roommate with a friend, you're like, God, I, I want that person back in my life as a friend. Again, it doesn't sound like that's what you're saying. So I just want to absolve of you of any guilt. We never owe anybody an email. Never owe anybody an email. An email is not a debt that has to be repaid. I have deleted, and okay, listener, I am a cold Capricorn. Do you know how many terrible people who've been in my life who've done bad things to me many years later sent me some crazy email to like try to account for their sins and then maybe try to make me apologize to them in some weird way? You know what I do? I delete them. I never answer them. It's not my business. I have no business with those people. Our business and life is done. And how's your life? My life's great. It is stuffed to the gills with excellent people who I'm obsessed with. I love my friends. I obsess over their lives, probably to an unhealthy degree, because that's what I do. And I just want to like be around them and talk to them all the time. And I don't have room for people that we have no business anymore.
0: My advice is pretty similar to yours. If you need to acknowledge it, you can say, yeah, I, I was so happy to have you in my life or you know I, our friendship was really meaningful to me thank you for reaching out i hope you're doing well that's it mm-hmm. it can it it doesn't have to be open-ended you don't need to process Mm-mm. i heard friend to the show jessica and say before you don't have to process with anyone you don't trust and also i just think you don't have to process with anyone that that isn't going that doesn't make any sense what's the point of you guys processing mm-hmm. you don't even live in the same place you're going to be bosom buddies again i don't know
1: (laughs) now i'm going to sing the theme song to bosom buddies
0: but i i agree with you and i have honestly also like you gotten emails from people from way in the past that are having a moment of wanting to feel better about how they treated me and i read their emails and i appreciate them but i don't always engage because they're not it just that just isn't what needs to happen they needed to say it to get it off their chest. I was happy to read it because it restored my faith in humanity for a second to be like, oh, someone made amends to me. That's nice. Turn, goodbye. Mm-hmm. Turn the page. I don't, they're not my enemy because I didn't write them back. I'm not devaluing what they wrote. It's just we're not, we're not close. Yeah. I don't owe them anything.
1: Yeah. The, the former friend can go resolve all this in therapy. Dear Sagittarian Matters, what to put in an artist residency application when they ask what kind of project they're looking for?
0: Um, I think you just follow their guidelines.
1: Uh, follow their instructions. Residencies don't always ask you what you're going to do there. Some do and some don't. About 30% of them that I've seen do ask you. You can say whatever you want. I recommend talking about a project that, for one thing, can be done in the facility. Like if you're going to a place that doesn't have space for making ceramics, don't say, I want to come try ceramics. They, they, they're not going to pick you because you can't do that thing there. Um, but say something that's true for you, maybe something you, you really know well, like a project that's really on your mind or that you've already started you can always propose a phase of a project um, to keep it manageable for the time that you'll be there. But also know this, when you get to a residency, you can do whatever you want. Some people use residencies to read a bunch of books and take naps and talk to other artists, and that's okay. Whatever's going to refill your coffers. But so by the time you get to the residency, whether it's three months from now or in 2021, you inevitably will be in a different place in your practice. Your projects may have changed. That's okay. You're not ever tethered to the application.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by generous contributions from Kylie Oram, Lily Withcomb, Beth Pickens, Elise Miller, Starshine Christian, Joshana Ruth Wector, Christy Herod, Jill Soloway, and Mary Pinson. If you would like to support Sagittarian Matters, especially producer Chris Sutton, please send $5, $10, $5 million, that's your business, via PayPal to HornetLeg at gmail.com. That's Hornet Like the Insect. Leg like its appendage at Gmail. Or this Justin, you can Venmo him. His name on there is Hell Books. That's H E double hockey sticks books. Thank you for your support, and we look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Puducher Ponyo looks forward to it too. Don't be scared. That's just Ponyo's current speaking voice.
3: Hi, Nicole. Um... I'm calling in for advice for a friend. Actually, um, I've given my I've given this friend my own advice, and I thought I could reach out um, for all, some differing opinions or um, just more advice. Um, here's the situation: um, My friend is very driven. She's constantly trying to improve her lot in life, her situation. Um, through getting new jobs and learning different skills. And, you know, she wants to be happy and comfortable, and she's kind of a mover and shaker. shaker. However, her partner of two to three years um, doesn't really have that kind of drive and seems content um, being a little stagnant in that department um, and struggling financially and just doesn't seem like they're interested in getting a new job or shaking things up or, you know, continuing to grow in that department. Um, This person also struggles with addiction, so I think that a lot of their energetic focus um, goes towards that. Um, Yeah, and I just was wondering what kind of advice you have for people With that that are in love and partnered with um, people with very different drives. Uh, Yeah, anything will help. And I don't think breaking up um, is on the table there. That's all. Okay. Um, Signing off as going bonkers and yonkers.
1: Yonkers, asking for a friend or a friend of a friend. Anytime somebody has a partner struggling with addiction, that friend would benefit from Al-Anon. You will get – they will get everything they need in Al-Anon. Yeah. And that doesn't mean they have to break up with their partner.
0: No. It means – it It would be a way of them turning the focus on themselves even more in finding out what's best for them, not only in, like, hobby, recreational, financial ways, but spiritual ways, self-esteem
1: ways, self-care ways, emotional ways. Yeah. And because you're asking – On behalf of this friend, it sounds like it could be possible that it's a little painful for you to watch this. And God knows it's painful to watch somebody in a relationship that you think is bad for them or hurting them or just bringing them down, or they could have something better and maybe they don't see it. We have no power over somebody else's relationship. People have to work through their relationships on the timeline that they're on, right? Like if this partner is supposed to leave the person struggling with addiction, they'll do it and they'll do it on their timeline when they're supposed to. In the meantime, Everyone, including this friend, would benefit from keeping the focus on themselves. And, you know, like they like a lot of different things and they keep trying new things. Great. Maybe that is their path in life. But um, I think a 12-step program like Al-Anon or something that has similar focus of teaching somebody to detach from what other people are doing and have a good life no matter what somebody else is doing and to keep the focus on themselves is in order.
0: I agree. Do we have another
1: Instagram question? We're really making quick work of these. I know. know. We just... Okay, dear Sagittarian Matters, any tips on maintaining boundaries with family after living cross-country for years? Signed, freaking out in Fresno.
0: Hmm, Dear freaking. Does this mean after living cross-country, does this mean that they no longer live cross-country for years?
1: I don't know, I don't know. But we could just speak generally to maintaining, I mean, you and I have a lot of of things to say about maintaining boundaries with family. We
0: probably both (laughs) have a lot of boundaries with family.
1: Yeah, yeah. Let's um, talk about boundaries. You always have really good things to say about boundaries.
0: Thank you, Beth. I I just think what boundaries are a way to support yourself. Boundaries are a way that I can show up for myself, evaluate what I actually need in a relationship and try to express that. And people can either meet it or not, but at least I get the feeling of standing up for myself or sticking up for myself before I have like grown a resentment or have muddied the waters with my own, polluted the waters of our, of our relationship with my own like secret desires. So, with family, there's people that I want to keep in touch with because they're getting up there in years. And so, I try to keep it a little bit light and polite. They're not people that I necessarily choose to pour my heart out to, but they're people who I wish no ill will. So, I try to keep it light. What can we talk about? What's okay to talk about? Dogs? There we go. The weather? Pasta? cooking, Syrian cooking. That's where we're, that's what we're going to talk about. I don't try to go to the wrong place or the wrong thing. I don't try to go to the hardware store for milk, let's say. Um, so if that person just in my family is a disappointment in some way, cause they're not giving me some deep emotional need that I, at some point thought family were there to give, it's okay. I can let them off the hook, get that somewhere else. And just, if I want to show up for them at all, show up for them in a way that doesn't feel like it's, um, that's degrading to me as a person.
1: That's really good. I think sometimes when we're learning how to have boundaries for the first time, or we're learning how to have boundaries in new places, Mm -hmm. like with family, a a misstep that inevitably we have to learn and grow from is trying to control people through our boundaries. Mm -hmm. So a boundary is not, my boundary, Nicole, is that you need to start doing this thing. A boundary is not setting somebody else's behavior. A boundary is removing yourself if the behavior is unacceptable to you. You don't even have to state boundaries a lot of the time. A boundary is your internal map that you are following, that you're understanding, navigating, asserting, and following. Sometimes it involves speaking truth to somebody and saying, this is something I'd like or something I really need or something, um, uh, a way for us to be together that worked better for me. And then you have no control over what they do. But what they do in response to your boundary is, I've been saying this a lot today, is information. It's information for you. So the family environment, you may go in and say, hey, everyone, this is a new thing that I need or something I really want from us when we're together or in these dynamics. And then when and if they don't do that, because one you actually can't change other people or, or a family system, it's pretty entrenched, then you get to decide how and when you participate. Um, and Nicole, sometimes you've said things about what happens when we find ourselves saying a boundary over and over and over again.
0: It makes me feel crazy.
1: (laughs) Well, that that you, like you stayed at once and Uh, then after that it's,
0: Oh, after that, it's you trying to control the situation. Like if you, you have, I feel that you, you have the right to say your opinion one time. And if you're doing it more than that, you are trying to manipulate or control or manage the situation which it seems is out of your hands Mm -hmm. and so if you're a broken record that's a nice that's information for you about how you're showing up to the situation and you may be like trying so hard to get them to do this one thing that seems so reasonable to you and they might be trying to give you the information through their actions that they just can't do that so then you need to go back huddle with yourself and think based on this new information what am I going to do is it do I need to just take myself out of the situation or do I get to make a different choice?
1: Yeah. Sometimes with family, a boundary can simply manifest as reduction of services, <laughs> sort of <laughs> reduce some participa- participation, reduce um, fulfilling expectations that no longer work for you. And people won't like it. Like it's always said, when we stop people pleasing, people stop, stop being pleased. pleased and that's Okay. Um, there's lots of ways to show people in our family who are very different from us or who we have really fraught relationships with. We can show them kindness, goodwill, even love through light and polite actions like Nicole is suggesting. Um, You know, families are strange. It's these people that you're sort of thrown together with that in other circumstances you might not ever want to talk to or know. And yet as we get older, we like you were talking about having aging relatives, now that I'm older and my family members that are living are all getting older, I also think like I I want to maintain these people in my life. It probably will be much smaller and different than what I would have dreamt of as a child. Um, But there's ways to do it that are really – that have continuity but are, are small and light.
0: Yeah. And an example of a boundary is I have a family member who is a little older, is really into social media. And then at a certain point, and and they're Christian, good for them, but they started posting things that I found offensive. And so I rejected their Facebook request. And then this person, I wasn't going to say anything about it. I just was personally like, okay, I'm just not going to sign up for that mailing list of homophobic trash and then they wrote they wrote me or they called me and they're like how come i don't get to be your facebook friend uncle so and so's your facebook friend and i was like well because you post homophobic things on your page and i don't want to see that because it hurts my feelings it makes me feel bad i don't want to see that and then they were like i mean (laughs) this this particular family member said i was hacked freedom of speech (laughs) in the same sentence amazing in the same string i think it was a text message but i just i just didn't even have to respond to that yeah yeah
1: yeah
0: <laughs> freedom of speech i was hacked
1: yeah like my <laughs> i have a family member who's going to come visit me and this is like the third time in my adult life I'll visit with this family member where I live and a boundary for me that is just like, I don't have people stay with me. They stay in hotels and I've even paid for the housing, but I will not have people. I will not have people stay in my house. No, it's just, it would be very uncomfortable for me to have family stay with me. And I realize that's different for people. They have different expectations according to culture and tradition, but, um, you can, you can decide things that are far outside of your family and cultural norm that work better for you. Um, so that you can maintain continuous contact.
0: Yeah. Uh, also, I had to teach a family member how to use Lyft, and I had to convince them that they were not going to get murdered because I had a family member that was like, I'm going to come visit. I'm going to stay at a hotel that's by the airport, <laughs> and will you? I'm going to need you to drive me to church uh, at eight, for the 8 o'clock mass. And I was like, that's not happening. I am happy to show you how to use Uber. And they were like, I can't use that. I'll get killed. And I was like, here's Blownly. the number. Here, <laughs> just kidding. Here's the number of times I've used Uber. You will not get killed. Let's, and then you know what? They didn't even actually end up going to church. They just wanted that extra attention of me showing up at 8 o'clock in the morning to be their chauffeur. I'm best. Pivoting away from family, I hope that was helpful to the listener. Do you have any part, Any tips for how you're staying sane-ish in um, this election season.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I do. I have, like many listeners, a lot of election dread. Um, my election dread was I'm having old election dread though it's actually not even 2016 it's its 2004 uh, it's going yeah. back to the Bush it's going back to W the lesser and what happened when I you know the primary to me is you get to vote with your absolute conscience. for me and it was Dennis Kucinich I was like yes Dennis Kucinich all the way I had a giant Dennis Kucinich button and then I had to campaign for John Kerry this was a big disappointment and then he didn't even win bigger disappointment and because it was in my 20s and I I worked with college students. This was for all of us, like one of our first elections. And your first few elections, I can tell you this as an adult, they're very painful. They're very, very painful. Um, and for a lot of people who are coming of age, who are in their, you know, Gen Z and early and uh, young millennials, your political experience as an adult was under the Obama administration, which I can tell you as a person who's had more elections under their belt, that was a very special, unique time in American history. And I hope we get to have it again. I, um, anyway, I, as I've noticed my election dread growing and my anxiety creeping up, I have a kind of job that I really have to take care of myself and my anxiety or I can't do my job well. I just can't do my job well. And it's really important to me that I do my job well. And so I, for one, had to cancel the Sunday New York Times and the Sunday L.A. Times, which I'd been getting and reading cover to cover and just ripping my cuticles to bloody hell. And so first things first, I canceled the Sunday Times for both of those newspapers, and I am not reading political coverage right now Um until after the primary is done and I know who I'm campaigning for. I know who I'm voting for in the primary. I'm really excited. It's somebody that I would genuinely be thrilled to campaign for. That's what a primary to me is about. And then I will campaign for whoever wins the primary. Um, So contain the things, like don't go to news to to rip open a scab that you know is going to hurt, which I think sometimes we do with the news. We're like, you know what, I know this is going to be painful and get me worked up and I'm going to do it. Um, So I have to stop doing that because I have to take really good care of myself or I can't do my job very well.
0: Yeah. I wish that I could filter out anything with the candidate's name on Twitter. I'm not going to say who, but there's a particular candidate that people feel really – it's really important for them to tell you that you should follow them. Whether or not you, like it, just like the diet, the the dialogue around it. I'm just like, oh my God, I can't deal. So I just have to really insulate myself from reading anything up into a point. And same, I'm waiting till after the primaries and then doing what I need to do after that.
1: Yeah. I would also say this is a general rule for life. This is a guideline that I use and I ask my clients to use. And this is great for election anxiety. Um, Delete social media from your phone for most of the week. Um, Hmm. Definitely over the weekends, maybe for most of the week. A lot of people need social media for – it's good for three things in my mind. One, to numb out. Sometimes you just want to numb out for 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. Two, for like seeing what's going on with friends or content creators who aren't in your life. Just like seeing what's going on. And three, for marketing things about yourself. A lot of people use social media to market things related to their job. So um, you don't need to do those activities every single day. (laughs) So um, I recently had a client that I encouraged to – because they use social media. Media for those three things and we came up with a plan that they're going to try where they do that just one just once a week one hour per platform and then they delete it from their phone for the rest of the week i promise you if you start deleting it from your phone and not using social media for days at a time one you're not going to miss anything and two you might get some of your interior serenity back
0: mm. as an addict of social media who gets that high from seeing like likes or messages or whatever I have to say the high is even more when you've been gone for a couple of days because you come back and all those likes or all those messages have accumulated and then you feel really special because you have so many messages. Mm-hmm. You feel so important and then you can answer them all or read them or whatever and then delete it again. It's, yeah. it's actually better. Yeah. It's totally, a better buzz.
1: Totally. I get, yeah, that's like if I only have a cigarette once every three weeks, I'm like, the cigarette's so good. Um, but, uh, you know, it, everybody's addicted to their phone. If you have a smartphone and social media, you're addicted. It's the way it's designed. Nobody's bad. Nobody's weak. We. It's the way it's designed. We're not more powerful than things that are designed to addict us. I'm not, you know, I'm not weak for being addicted to caffeine. It's That's what it is, you know? And plus, Michael Pollan just did a whole audio book for Audible about caffeine addiction. Turns out it's fine. If it's not harming your life, you don't have to quit. It was it was exacerbating a heart condition, so I had to get off coffee. But guess what? I love my matcha.
0: Yeah, we have some right now.
1: This is so off topic from presidential dread.
0: Off topic some more. I want you to know that in high school, we had to do, for a health class, we had to do a presentation about a drug. And I chose, of course, like the hippie in class chose acid. Like the guy wearing a Grateful Dead shirt did acid and showed us what it did to your brain, which scared me so scared me straight actually. I never did acid, but um, I brought I was going to do about caffeine, so I brought in a cup of coffee to drink in front of everyone as I told them about caffeine.
1: Oh my god, that's so good! Yeah, that's um, all. can I share before one last thing? Not related to question, but I just life lessons with Beth, a new segment I'm suggesting, Oh. and I think I'm going to producer Chris, if you're listening, I think you should advocate for life lessons with Beth. Oh. Um, I just remembered a thing that I learned from a faculty member when I was an undergrad that it's unrelated to this, but I really like this lesson, if I may. So I had this professor who taught um, non-Shakespearean Renaissance drama where we read books called things like Tis Pity, She's a Whore. (laughs) He was a great, he was a great instructor and he actually taught us all how to, he taught me how to write essays. It was great. Um, He always said, talk about the words. But so one time this professor, he'd given us a packet to read. It was some non, it was non-Shakespearean Renaissance drama of some sort. And the way he'd compiled them and xeroxed them and stapled them, they were stapled in the wrong corner. So it wasn't intuitive to read. And so when we went to class the next time, a lot of people hadn't read the packet of non-Shakespearean Renaissance drama. And everyone was like, you know, you just – like it was – I couldn't figure out the pagination. Like you stapled it in the wrong corner. And he just put up his hands. He said, kids, take control of your lives. Move the staple.
0: Mm. Life lesson.
1: Move the staple.
0: I like that very much. I like that very much, Beth. Life lessons with Beth. (laughs) You need your own theme
1: song. I'll get – Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs is indisposed at the moment. But as soon as she's available – I'm going to ask for the Capricorn Matters sideshow theme song.
0: Yeah, it's it, As of now, performed by producer Ponyol. Life wasn't with Beth. <laughs> <laughs> with Beth Pickens. Beth, thanks for being on the show.
1: Always a pleasure. I, I truly listen to Sagittarian Matters every week. I listen to it every Friday.
0: I listen to it almost every Friday. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am so happy that we can provide this service... To our community and the extended community of people who we may never meet.
1: Yeah. I mean, we love to tell people what to do. And when we do it in this way, we're not nagging our friends. Yeah. People are taking the advice or not and we never know about it. So this is a healthy way for us to tell people what to
0: do. It's not going to drive me bananas if I find out that you didn't. I'm like a vampire, everybody. I'm hovering outside of your window waiting to give you advice, but I need to be invited in. Yes. So please call our hotline, 971-361-9998, and leave us a message. Yeah. See you next time. Bye, Beth. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton, with assistance by Panyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Sagittarian Matters. I want to give a special thank you and shout out this week to my special guest voice actors, Will Betke Brunswick and Leif J. Lee. You can find them both on Instagram at transboycomics and Leaf J. Lee, respectively. Thank you for your acting talents, and we appreciate your contributions to the podcast.